Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast-growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Quanstrom, CMO at Science. And I'm Caroline Maloney. I am the Director of Sales Training and Enablement here at Science. Well, here we go. Another best-selling author on the ESD podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Mark Hunter, the sales hunter, as he's known. And he's written kind of a number of really good books in the space. My personal favorite is High Profit Prospecting, which is kind of an A to Z of how to think about everything prospecting. Yeah, and he's kind of an A to Z guy, uh, Eric. I mean, I mean, what a guy, honestly. He's funny, he's motivational, and companies actually hire him to come as their keynote speaker at sales kickoffs. And you'll understand why after listening to this episode. He's a natural storyteller too. He, he gives so much incredible insight away, you know, from his experience working with orgs at all different sizes and scales. So really just another one of those masterclass episodes. <laughs> Plenty of stealable moments. In fact, one that I'm taking away is when he talk, talks about this alliteration of uh, polite people plugging up people's pipelines. <laughs> say, say that five times fast. <laughs> yeah, he's great. <laughs> There's tons of juice in this one. So without further ado, let's get right to it. How are we doing? Hello. Mark. <laughs> hey, Mark. Uh, crazy day. Crazy day. And it's not oh, yeah? even close to being done. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what made it crazy? Uh, business life. I stuff. love it. I mean, it's just it's just been a, a sundry of everything. But life is good, you know. So it's great yeah. to hear. Yeah. Well, so I, I'm curious, what's it like being brought in as a keynote speaker for huge companies at their kickoff? What what what's it like to do that? Maybe perhaps not knowing any of the folks that you're speaking to personally beforehand. Well, I would hope that I would know something about the audience I'm going to be speaking to. I mean, it's just like in sales. You got to do your homework before the sales call. You know what? I mean, it really, business, it, let's take a step back. If you think about the economy is driven by business, business is driven by sales. So really what we do is we're at the forefront. And if you really think about it, prospecting is what drives sales. So I look at whenever I have a chance to stand in front of an audience, I'm, getting, I'm having a chance to meet them. And, you know, I think about the definition of, of sales. When I stand up in front of an audience, my goal is to influence and impact. Well, in sales, what are we to do? Influence and impact salespeople. I mean, we're, we're to influence and impact customers we come in contact with. And ultimately, our prize is when we help others see and achieve what they didn't think was possible. Hmm. Sounds pretty, you know, to me, I mean, that, that's, if you deliver on that in everything you do, Every day, guess what? You're walking a great life. Isn't that so true? You know, it's funny. We have a saying around here. We, we call it the four missions. And mission number two is, is the one that's always forgotten about in any prospecting run or approach, outreach, if you will. And that's actually the benefit that we can bring to the, the prospect, you know, for a product or service that they are not familiar with and aren't currently doing business with a company today. And I'm curious, I think a lot of your own writings and teachings are really on that service component. I'm guessing you agree with that approach. Totally, totally agree with that. Because, you know, he, here's the whole thing. I, this is going to rub some people the wrong way. I really don't care what anybody sells. I really could care less. 
It's the outcome you create for the people, for the customers you're serving. That's where our focus should be. It's, it's, it's really not the product. It's the outcome. And in order to get to the outcome, we really have to understand you, have to understand you. What are your needs? What are your challenges? Where are you going? But here's the whole thing. You're going to blow smoke in my face until we create a level of trust and confidence. It's only when there's a level of trust and confidence will you finally begin to say, hey, you know what? I can trust this person. I'm going to share with them these insights. And why don't we jump right into some of the, I mean, for lack of a better word, tactics for building that trust. And, and you know, what a lot of people would, and I hate this phraseology, but I'm going to use it anyways, would call overcoming objections. Oh, yeah. It, it, here's the whole thing. Everything is an objection until there's trust. Now, let me back up the bus on this one. What do I mean by this? If you think about this, if if somebody trusts somebody, they're going to share with them the truth. They're going to share with them the real world, what's happening out there. Every degree less in trust. I mean, you know, if there's just a minimal level of trust, again, there's going to be a lot of smoke blown into people's face. So what I have to do in the sales process, what I have to do is I have to be able to create trust. How do I do that? I do that by doing what I say I'm going to do. You know, if I say, hey, I'm going to follow up with you Tuesday, I actually follow up with you on Monday. Okay, that's something little. But you know what, surprisingly enough, it doesn't happen. But here's where it really comes into play. You create trust when you place value on what the other person's saying. Let me explain. If I were to ask you a question, you share with me some information. And then I ask you a follow-up question on what you just shared with me. What's that demonstrate? That you actually care. It isn't like I ask you a question, you answer it, and then I go, oh, check. Let me go to the next question on my page. Now, question number 32. We're moving through this list. Good. But I stay and I continue to focus on what you're sharing with me. But here's where the real element of trust comes into play. You share with me something on, we'll say, the initial phone call. And then we have a discovery call or somewhere down the road we're talking again. I say, hey, you know what? When we were talking a few weeks ago, you mentioned this and you play back to them what they shared with you. What's that tell him? Wow, he or she really listens. He or she cares. And what does it do? It creates that level of trust. It creates that level of confidence. And when we get to that point and only, and this is what's missed. I mean, think about it. Transactional sales, we think we don't need trust. Uh, False. Enterprise sales, we think, oh, no, it's purely a business decision. False. Trust drives every sale out there, period. It's the most important thing. I mean, throughout this podcast, Eric and I have, you know, had so many guests on who talk about trust and folks have different interpretations of what that means. But I'd love to focus on cold calling and actually, you know, getting someone on the phone, voice to voice trust building. How do you help reps develop that? Because there's no wall you can hide behind, right? You're not on the email channel. You're not sending a message. You're in real time. It's your voice. It's you. How do you approach that? Okay, let's throw some hand grenades out in the middle of the room right now. You don't say, hey, how's your day going? First of all, do you really care? No, you don't. So let's put that one off to the side. How was your weekend? Oh, wow. Put that one on. All of this fluff talk 
is a bunch of garbage. And don't think for a moment it creates trust. All it does is it demonstrates that the salesperson doesn't have a clue what they're doing, but somehow they're going to create fuzzy talk and they got their slippers on. And wow, we're going to put on a Mr. Rogers sweater. And once you come into my neighborhood, it falls. I have to create trust on a cold call by calling out what it is. Hey, I, I want to help you do this. I would like to ask you about this. Now, here's the way I'm going to develop trust. I have to engage you in the first five seconds with a question that is of interest to you. Now, let me put that aside. Let me back up because there's another technique. Hey, this is a cold call. Do you have 29 seconds to listen to my cold call pitch? You know, now some people say, oh, that's a trustworthy, that's a trustworthy opening. No, it's a cute, stupid opening. You may get somebody that says, oh yeah, I'll listen to 29 seconds, but they're not going to do anything with you. Again, what I want to do is I want to create genuine, real trust. And when I do this, I say, hey, how, how are you and your company handling this? Or what are you doing to respond to this? And now naturally they're going to come back to you and say, who are you? What? Well, I'm so-and-so, and I've helped other companies similar to yours overcome this same challenge. I'm curious, how does it affect you? Now, what am I doing? I'm creating a, conf I've asked you a question, and I've shared a confidence statement. See, I've shared a confidence statement that this isn't my first rodeo. I've, I've done this before with other people. And my whole objective is to now create that trust. Now, have I zoomed to 100 on the trust meter? No. What I've done is I've started to move it a little bit to where hopefully you engage with me. Here's where it comes into play. Let's not kid ourselves. Cold calls rarely go very far. But if I can get just one piece of information out of you, just one piece, I can play that back to you in a later email I send you, a later voicemail I leave you, in the next call I leave with you. Now I've connected the dots. You create trust by connecting the dots of every conversation you have with that prospect. Absolutely. This way you're not feigning friendship or like you're trying to get to know this person personally. That's so, it's not genuine. And I think you're absolutely right. A lot of people see right through that. And it's, it's really annoying for prospects. Can I jump on this? It, it's, it's like the people who send out emails. Oh, you've been ignoring my email. So why don't we just respond one, two, three, or four? I mean, come on, people. I mean, or I want to bounce this email to the top of your list. Yeah, right. It's not gonna. It's not gonna create trust. It creates know? guilt, which is the opposite of trust. It, hey, I like that. I like that. Well, how about this one? I'm just checking in. You know, when people say that to me, I go, "I'm not a hotel. Sorry, no rooms available." <laughs> <Like that. laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm 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 getting wound up here. If you, if if you notice. No, I, I love it. In fact, what, what you said, I think, is one of the best forcing functions in all of sales craft in any sales cycle. If you can say the words, because you told me, ultimately, Ooh. whatever follows after that is already has impact. It has directionality. It has actual motivation, demonstrates listening. And then, you know, ultimately, you're not going to pick everything that somebody told you or to your point, like it's one piece of information, but ultimately that tape playback 
is such a trust builder. I can't even begin to tell you. So I, I agree with you 100, maybe more than 100%. Let's <laughs> get because you told me I'm willing to continue this conversation, right? See, you're fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you it. know, like it's funny, people love the sound of their own voice, and you give it back to them in the sense that like it's genuine, authentic. I'm really listening, as opposed to the scripted, robotic. You know, we all know for those of us on the buy side that have picked up more than one cold caller in our lives, it's pretty easy to to tell where the call's gonna go in the first 15 seconds. Oh, well, we even have to wait that long? I mean, we can wait two <laughs> seconds. I mean, right. I mean, We're that, polite that's, people. We're polite people. I know. Well, I'll see. This is what's funny. Polite people plug up people's pipelines. Ooh. You know, uh, now think think about it. polite people plug up people's pipelines. That's a lot of P's in there, isn't it? I love isn't that. It? Okay, yeah. Alliteration. Now, yeah. Here's where I'm going with this. I have seen people who don't have the guts to say no, who don't have the guts to say this, this dog don't hunt. And I'll say, Okay, we'll we'll take the next meeting. Okay, we'll take the next meeting. And 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 no, because the salesperson hasn't done their job. The salesperson hasn't vetted them out and said, why should you even stay in it? You know, one of the things we see this in the SaaS world a lot, where people will take meetings because all they really want to do is they want to see the product. They just they just want to see the demo. That's they, that's their only desire. Hey, can you demo the product for me? Because all they want to do is they want to see, hmm, curious. Hmm. They want to prove to themselves that the reason they don't want to buy this is the reason they don't want to buy it. Or or they want to substantiate to their boss that they've looked at it or any one of a number of reasons. I mean, I sat on the other side of the desk for a long time. And there were a lot of meetings that I took, a lot of demos that I took for one reason, just to see what's out there. I had no interest in buying, but I was polite. I was polite. And then they say, so what do you think? And I go, yeah, well, check back with me in a few months. I could care less. Wow. Well, you know, on that exact, um, I think we should riff on this for a second. Where do you come down in the prospecting kind of like mapping, if you will, for determining, all right, this company and, and the departments or folks in the buying group that I really want to target are good fits on paper for my product or service. Qualifying on a, on any cold call is an extremely dangerous skill and not for the, the faint of heart. If, if for no other reason than the second that a buyer realizes they're being qualified, they resent you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you I'm, know. I'm I'm curious with a purely outbound motion in your book, you know, when when you probably will have some of those polite people, and maybe you know, from an SDR's perspective, that's great because they'll take meetings. <laughs> um, but where do you come down on that argument going forward? Yeah, here's the piece that really upsets you know customers when people say, "So are you are you the one who makes the buying decisions?" You know, oh. you know, do you have budget? All that, all Authority. that, just, just oh yeah, yeah. Bant. I mean, please choke me. But here's the question I want to ask. Here's what I want to find out. Just give me something of proprietary insights about your organization, about your challenges. If I can have you on the phone and I can get you to share with me a piece of proprietary information, what do I mean by that? That's something that's not known publicly. That begins to tell me that there's a level of interest here. There's yeah. some reason why you want to continue this conversation. To me, that's like the number one qualifying piece. Now, I may not have the right person 
Okay. Because again, if I'm doing enterprise sales and I'm calling in, you're not going to get the senior VP of, of widget control on the phone the first time. It's just not going to happen. Not even going to happen the second or third time. But if I can begin to find out insights, then I can begin to work my way through the organization, not necessarily up in the organization, but through the organization to be able to get meaningful decisions made. Yeah, so it's really more of a strategy of penetrating that account and learning those insights as you go as part of your prospecting strategy. Yeah, it really is. And you're putting together a giant puzzle. Yeah, And let's not kid ourselves. Initially, the puzzle isn't even face up. It's face down. You don't even know what the picture looks like. I mean, I, I tell if, if I'm in the enterprise level, in fact, I was working with a group today, enterprise reps. I, I said, hey, you know, there may be 15 to 20 people that you got to be reaching out to in this organization. And you keep reaching out to them. And you'll get little pieces. You'll get little pieces to the puzzle. You don't know what it looks like. And again, it's face down. But then eventually you begin to understand. So then you can begin to overturn the turn the picture. Oh, now I begin to see what kind what thing I'm working on. But it's going to take time. And that's the biggest challenge enterprise reps have, enterprise account managers, however you want to call them. They are not willing to stay in the game long enough. Gee, same problem SDRs have. Wow, isn't that a shock? We fail to stay in the game. Yeah. And I want to ask something too. Something you said earlier has has stuck with me. They only oh, want to oh, see. Oh, now you're now you're making me feel good because you're <laughs> playing back to me. Just, oh wow. You know, I have a high degree of trust with you. Well, I listen, I learn. I, I listen and I learn, right? I mean, I, you, you said earlier that, you know, a lot of these prospects, they just want to see a demo. They just want to sniff out what it is you're doing that's different. Yeah. So with that in mind, how much transparency up front do you recommend when you help create these cadences and messages that reps initially send? Do you recommend mini demos or, you know, no. this is what we do. Do you like it? <laughs> up no, front? I, I, I hate demo. In fact, the typical demo is too much, too long, and it's delivered at the wrong time. I want better discovery. See, here's the whole thing. If I focus on the discovery phase, and the discovery phase is not just a single call. Discovery phase might go on for some time. But the discovery phase is where I'm figuring out what is your business challenge? What is the challenge you're dealing with? My objective is that by the time I get to the demo, you are in such pain. You are are anguishing and you have so much confidence in me that this becomes a no-brainer. And here's the key piece. The demo should only be about the pieces that are relevant to the customer. Don't sit there. I see I see cloud architects, uh, systems engineers, whatever you want to call them, all kinds of different imaginative terms. They want to walk people through every element of how the thing was put together and what it does and all this. And, and, and the customer's going, you're killing me. I'm bored. I'm bored. And that's wrong. Just or they're confused. Them. They they this is what's funny. A confused buyer doesn't make a decision. That's right. It was interesting. I was talking to somebody today, and it's a little bit of a challenge. That if you put too many options in front of a customer, what do they do? They they freeze up 
they don't make a decision or worse yet, they go, well, if we have all these options, how come we can't do this, this, and this, and this? Ultimately, you just you just slow down the process. <clears throat> yeah. I, my goal is to make it easy for you to do business with me. My goal is to make it easy for you to say yes to me. So I'm going to hone in and focus in on what the challenge is. And, and if you think about this, right now, we're in a very unique period of business. Okay, we've been saying this for the last 300 years, but today really is unique. People are only focused on their number one or number two priorities. You could have a real credit. I, I was talking to a gentleman the other day, major IT job, major company. He said, Mark, we had some people in. They shared with us some stuff. Really good, really good stuff. We we really liked it. It was really, really cool. Yeah, really neat. And he, it's funny, he says they left, they left the meeting thinking, wow, they they've they've landed that this is gonna turn out. And he said, We really no, it, it's really neat stuff, but it's not our number one or number two priority. See, people are only focused on their number one or number two priority. This is what you got to. This is what you got to uncover in 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 the discovery phase. What what is this organization's top two problems, and how do I have a solution that can help you address that? And if I yeah. can't, oh, I'm going to be pushing water uphill. That exact sentiment. One of our previous guests, Tibor Shanto. Oh yeah. Who's- big into objectives-based selling, very similar methodology. Um, But I'm curious, so you mentioned pain a lot and number one and two priorities. What are your perspectives on kind of like sidling in or getting to a connective piece that might be attached to a goal or something that that person's looking to achieve as opposed to just pain. Because I often find in bicycles, pain isn't easily revealed to those that we don't trust yet. Right, right. It's not, it's not. So it's not, but in fact, it's funny. I was talking to a gentleman the other day and uh, he was saying, well, I, th- this account has said that they want to make, they want to make this decision by October 1st. I said, why? Well, I don't know. They just said October 1st. Well, Why? And as we went through their top priorities, this wasn't even, so why? Well, subsequently, he went back and he came back to me today. He said, what we found out was they need our piece to be installed and up and running for them to get to the really big problem that they have to fix. Our piece really isn't that critically important, but it helps the system operate smoother so they can get to their critical issue. So again, we if you follow the breadcrumbs far enough, you'll understand where they lead and how can I help the customer. But too many salespeople, what they do is they say, "Wow, I had a couple of great calls. It's time to put a proposal across the table." You know, it's like, man, I, I this is this is really scary. I was sitting in a meeting, going through the quota, going through who's going to close. And um, it's typically about a nine to 12 month sell cycle, buy cycle. And uh, this one lead had come in and everybody said, oh, it's, it's going to close this quarter. It's going to close this quarter. And I'm sitting there, man, you guys are smoking dope and jumping rope. This ain't going to happen. This is not going to happen at all. It's not. There, there, there is no way. Because again, just because there's initial level of interest at the beginning, you still got to go through all the hoops to understand as to whether or not what we have is is the viable solution. So, I mean, you know, just because the kid opens up a present on Christmas Day and loves it doesn't mean they're going to be playing with that toy two months from now. 
Exactly. That is such a underappreciated metric to consider is customer retention. I oh, so don't give your kids toys for Christmas. So there you go. <laughs> that's, that's the answer. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, I want to pivot here. You know, just uh, to talk more about SDRs and account executives and and sales leaders. So when you go in, you know, and you're fresh eyes in a new organization. Where do you typically start? Do you start at the rep level or do you start at the leadership level? And how do you know where to start? Start the leadership level. You got to start the leadership level. I see organizations, they go, oh, if we fix the SDR, BDR process, we're going to make all our numbers. And the leadership, they're the ones who are out in left field. They have no clue. You know, this is a parent-child relationship, okay? Now, I'm not saying every screwed-up kid comes from screwed-up parents, no. But the probability is kind of there, okay? Just saying. So, I mean, you know, it, 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 here's, here's what I find. Sales is an emotional business. It is an emotional game. And I, I may not have a good sales process. We'll say my organization doesn't have a good sales process. But if I've got a great culture and a great supportive leadership team, it's amazing the results I can get. At the same token, I have seen companies develop unbelievable processes that really are good. I mean, good, great. And they achieve terrible results because management doesn't have a clue what they're doing. And 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 here's, here's the mark. I mean, this whole thing... What, when I see an, here's a quick way to measure the impact of an or, or the quality of an organization. What percentage of people coming to work for the company are coming to work for the company by way of a referral or a connection with somebody who is in the company already? You know, if if it's a great place to work, aren't you going to recommend your friends come here? Aren't you going to recommend others? Sure you are. Sure you are. If it's a pathetic place, you're not. But I that's one of the early measurements I look at when I'm, you know, when a company says, hey, we want you to come in and want you to kind of look at our organization. I start doing some sniffing around and seeing where are they sourcing sourcing their people. Tells you a lot real quick. That's a sales cycle that no one ever calls a sales cycle. Exactly. Exactly. And and think about this. I mean, the person who comes in by way, I I I just hired, I just hired another another person for my company. And um, she came to us by way of a person who's, who's already working for me. It's great. And she came to me by way of, of referral of somebody who was a customer of mine. I mean, you know, I, I almost think almost everybody who works my company came has, has come to me by way of a referral, either from somebody who's already working here or has worked here or a customer you know, a client. Which is oftentimes another great theme to kind of expand upon. I like to think of word of mouth or referrals as trust anchors. You know, like, and that concept of a trust anchor, what does a referral mean? It means that somebody is putting their reputation forward towards like a common goal or a common good that they're paying forward into now connecting those dots or matchmaking ultimately. Oh, you'd be great at at science, oh, you'd be great at the sales hunter, you know, like that kind of referral is it, it I mean, some people refer to it as the highest compliment you can give. 
It is. And, and, and I love that trust anchor. I, I, I love that. And see, here's another piece. If you stop and think about this, you can measure the level of trust you're creating with your customers by the referrals they give you, yeah. by the amount of repeat business they give you. You know, you stop, you stop and think about this. If, if, if you are not getting referrals, if you're not getting repeat business, something's wrong. Yeah. You know, and it may be more than just, you need to take a shower, you know, <laughs> Could be something more severe than that. Well, this this kind of brings us to a great uh, uh, segue point here, Mark. I wanted to ask you about this metric that it seems like you've coined, and that is CSE, customer service engagement. So, thinking about fostering those relationships with customers, I'm wondering if you can speak to this and maybe even provide some insight on how organizations can leverage this as a metric if they don't already. Yeah. CSE is really kind of a cool, you know, customer service engagement. Now, think about this for a moment. I naturally want to engage with my customers. Okay, that's great. But I have to ask myself, who is engaging with my customers? One of the challenges that I see, I see organizations where they have salespeople who are responsible for everything. And, you know, they're responsible for existing customers. They're responsible for new customers. They're responsible. What do they do? They wind up reverting to too much CSE. Because what do they do? They wind up spending all of their time taking care of existing customers. Well, I don't have time to prospect. I don't have time to prospect. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of it. Oh, well, in management, you're guilty of that because you're the one who's saying, hey, go check on this. Go check on this. Go check on this. You're never saying go check on this in terms of prospect. It's always with an existing customer because you're afraid that you're going to have to tell your boss that you guys lost a big account. So everybody becomes overly protective on taking care of existing. And, and this is a real challenge. So I want to have customer service execution and, and, and excellence and, and all these other elements around this. But here's the whole thing. Salespeople are really not charged with customer service. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just dropped a bomb right there. Salespeople are charged with delivering incremental volume, incremental. What I want to do if you want to spend all day, if you're, you're an account manager and you want to spend all day taking care of existing customers, fine, I'm going to move you over to customer service. And oh, by the way, last time I looked, customer service people generally get paid less, a lot less than salespeople. You're in sales. Suck it up, buttercup. Go out and sell. <laughs> Create incremental business. And, and that's a key thing, which takes me to another measurement I have called CFT, customer facing time. And this, this is a piece that really chaps me because if you stop and think about this CFT, customer facing, how much time are you really spending in front of your customers? I mean, when I mean in front, I mean, you're actively engaged with them either on a Zoom call, Teams call, you're face to face with them, you're, you're on the phone with them, or you're actively exchanging emails, something like that. You're not thinking about them. It's not like you're, you're working. No, no, you're, you're engaged. It really is quite low. It really is quite, quite low. And what's even worse is when I look at CFT and I break it two ways, CFT for existing customers and CFT for prospecting. Again, I was on, I was on a conference call this morning, sales team, and one of their senior sales executives said, Mark has been talking to us time and time again about blocking time, blocking time to be going after these prospects. And he said, you know what? I, I, I finally have got religion. I'm doing it. And it's making a difference. And I go, finally, finally, how long have I been talking about this? Because even in his role, 
what he was doing was he was spending too much time taking care of stuff that was really already in the can. No, go get new stuff. You know, the village is going to starve to death unless you go out and kill some meat, bring it home. Nothing happens until a sale is made. Exactly, exactly. And, and, but again, sales, a lot of salespeople, a lot of sales managers didn't get that memo. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So what are your thoughts on a, on a specialization of labor whereby, you know, the blocking time for SDRs is a concept that maybe doesn't even really exist in the sense that if you're not prospecting pretty much all day, in fact, you can make a, a strong argument that any meeting, anything taking them away from prospecting is um, oh. not a good use of time. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But here's what I'll argue about SDRs. Oh, they should be on, they should be on the phone. They should be doing it all, all day long. You know, what's interesting is I watched the Super Bowl and it's kind of interesting. They still took timeouts. They still had a quarterly break. You know, they yeah. still had they still had a halftime that went on for three days. No, I mean they they <laughs> you know again even top performing athletes have to have to take breaks. Yeah. So I'll, I'll argue this: if I'm a if I'm running an SDR floor, you know you know I, I got to make sure what are the things I'm doing to enhance the culture of the organization, and what are those things? So it's not going to be this metric of saying, oh, you didn't, you didn't pick up the phone enough. You didn't, you didn't, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but years ago I was running a, um, uh, industrial sales distribution facility. And one of the metrics I looked at was I would go down to the, um, the bowels of the building every day. We had, we had an antique phone system and I would look at, I would look at the phone metrics you know, how many calls had the, how many outbound calls had, you know, did the team make by what phone number, how many inbound calls, that sort of stuff. And I actually became obsessed by it. And I should have been looking at completely different metrics, but because I could walk down to the bowels of the building and pull this report, I thought I was pretty cool. No, I wasn't measuring the right stuff. You know, what's the quality of the conversations I'm having? What's the speed with which I'm taking a prospect, converting them to a customer? How many contacts does it take to, how, how many touches does it take to convert that prospect to a customer? And what's the lifetime value of the customer? Those are some of the metrics I, I got to be zeroed in on, not other stuff. I, 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 this will crack you up. Um, I, was talk, I was interviewing a person today for my podcast, and she was saying that she was working, working with a company a, num, a number of years ago. And there was a gentleman who was crushing it, crushed his number, crushed his quota, just just banged it out. But he didn't get maximum bonus because he didn't he didn't drive enough miles on his company truck. Because uh, feeling was he just wasn't working hard enough. It must have just fallen. What he learned how to use the phone. He learned how to be efficient. He learned how to do all these things. But because he didn't do didn't drive enough miles, he wasn't seen as you know worthy of maximum bonus. He didn't spike the ball in the end zone properly after he scored a touchdown. I mean, you know, maybe this guy should have just put his truck up on blocks and just run, you know, you know, I mean, that's just insane. But it is amazing the number of metrics. And and you you better believe that next year he made sure he drove that truck, you know, 
I mean, you know, and he never drove it in reverse because that takes miles off the odometer. So, okay, that's a weird one. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but, but I mean, it, you know, here's the it whole didn't thing. work in Ferris Bueller's day off. That's all he I know. Did, whoa, wow. Hey, you <laughs> win, you win the movie line. I like, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. That, that was a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best. I love it. Where are we where are we going with this? <laughs> well, uh, so a lot of account executives or closers, right, that I've interacted with, a lot of them seem to have this like lone wolf mentality, right? Where it's like, I'm just gonna do my thing and close my deals and everyone can leave me alone if I do that, right? Why? Because I know you know you speak a lot about how sales is a team sport. Can you can you help me understand that? You know why a lot of closers have this lone wolf mentality? Then, yeah, because they watched a movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, again, it's this, it's this. It, because I think people get this ego. T- they get ego, they get arrogance, and they think they can do it all themselves. And I, I truly believe the top performing salespeople go out of their way to help others. They go out of their ways because as exclusive as the top of the club is, the really great ones are inclusive. They want others to join the club. And that's a radical thought process because you're right, there's a lot more lone wolves out there. And here's what I find. You know what's interesting? The lone wolf eventually gets stuck. Uh, You know, the lone wolf eventually finds themselves going through the woods and suddenly they find themselves ensnared in some barbed wire and they can't get out. If they had been traveling in a pack, they may have avoided that barbed wire completely. That was a weird analogy. That was weird. I don't know if barbed wire just exists in the woods, but what the heck. So anyway, but I mean, you know, you can't, I'm a firm believer. I'm a firm believer that if I want to succeed long-term, I have to do it with others. You know, the old Af- African uh, uh, proverb, if you want to go far, go alone. If you want, no, excuse me, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. And I can I can nail President's Club one year, being the lone wolf out there. But you know what? I won't do it year in and year out. I've yeah. got to have a team. Got to have people with me. That's really powerful advice, actually. And it's so, it's not often in sales conversations that you hear kind of that teamwork aspect. Oh, and now, now we have in the chat, Wolf of Wall Street. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You know, it's funny. I, w- I was trying to remember the name of that movie and I couldn't. So anyway. <laughs> <sighs> well, let's but do, we have so let, many analogies. Let's do movie titles for 100, shall we? <laughs> well, my brain immediately went to Boiler Room right after. So no, <laughs> my, my, mine automatically goes to Tommy Boy, yeah. which I think is the greatest sales movie out there. So, but that tells you exactly where I'm coming from. There's some homespun wisdom to that. And it shows yeah, kind yeah. of like good good Tommy, bad Tommy. You got it. <laughs> or you or got first it. bad Tommy, good Tommy. You got it. Well, and I guess this touches too on mentorship, right? Because I I feel like one of the greatest tenants, you know, that you can have in a sales team is mentorship. And I'm curious, is that something that you help organizations realize and help them implement as well as coaches and leaders? Yes, yes. You you have to create mentors and you have to create 
peers who are willing to come together. One of the things I talk about in my book, A Mind for Sales, is about having a mastermind group, having people that you can that you can rely on, people that you can come together and 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 share ideas and so forth. You've got to be able to have that. It is absolutely valuable because otherwise you will sit there and die. Because it's, again, sales is an emotional game. And you've got to have, here's a situation. When you have people around you, it creates more discipline. It creates more focus. It also creates accountability. And accountability goes both ways. I, I happen to be in a mastermind group with several people. And I'm accountable to them. They're accountable to me. We lift each other up and collectively, in fact, we just did this exercise. How much better off are we today versus three years ago before we had the group? Incredible. So you do, you, you, you need mentors. And, and here's the whole thing. It doesn't have to be this official, oh, wow, we have to create this. No, just have to be people in your life who you can sit down with and gain wisdom from them. And hopefully you share some wisdom with them. Yeah, two-way street. So powerful. If you were to provide any guidance or, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're a three-time author, you've obviously kind of gone through the looking glass, especially on prospecting and these areas of the sales process. I'm curious what, what kind of advice you might have for those that are just beginning. You know, again, most SDRs are starting their careers really, really young, really, really green. Um, not all, but most. After you know, kind of all the wisdom that you've accumulated over the years, what are some of the things that that you would want to provide, like almost structural ideas for those new at the game? Yeah, first of all, be incredibly disciplined with your time. Be disciplined with your time. Block your time to do key critical activities. Two, focus on the long game. Don't get hung up on the short game. This is what destroys more salespeople. Three. Find smart people that you can hang out with, you can learn from. Be open, be a sponge. This is one of the biggest problems I had early on. I thought I knew it all. Boy, stupid. I was really stupid. Fourth thing is this. Know that at the end of the day, it's your attitude, your motivation, your personality that's going to make or break you. I see some incredibly smart salespeople crash and burn because their attitude, their motivation, their personality just stink. And I've seen others who really have no one, they have zero knowledge. They didn't get, they did not read that book. Okay. But you know what? They got a great personality. They're, they are motivated. They have a great attitude and they crush it. Hmm. That's where you focus. No, those would be, I, I don't know if I shared four, five, six, or seven. I don't know. I, I, sh I shared some things there for you. That was powerful. That's a whole chunk of wisdom. How's that? We just call it that. Good. Well, and and also along with that capper, because I don't know that we can build much more on that. <laughs> so great pieces of advice. Tell folks where they can learn more about Mark Hunter, the sales hunter, your LinkedIn profile, yeah. any of the books that you've written. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the two main books, High Profit Prospecting and A Mind for Sales, very pop, very popular books out there. The website is thesaleshunter.com. People always ask me, what was your name before you changed it to Hunter? No, that's always been my last name, okay? My first name was not Sales. It is Mark. So anyway, anyway, but um, thesaleshunter.com is the website. And of course, I'm all over LinkedIn. 
you just go out, type in Mark Hunter, the sales hunter. I'm there. So anyway, but I love to communicate, love to connect, love to share ideas because sales is not a solo activity. Sales is a team sport. Collectively, we help each other. And something amazing, a rising tide lifts all boats. Hmm. Shocking, isn't it? Not shocking at all. In fact, I will give you super kudos because your autocomplete on Google for Mark Hunter, which is at least not similar to my own last name, where there's fewer of, of those in the world, but you know, you're you're the first result. So. Yeah, I yeah, I'm the first result, but the official Google listing has me mixed up with about five other people. So, you know, yeah. We we are attempting to change that, but unfortunately, Google doesn't respond to phone calls. So you you have to get a bunch of people to vote with their clicks, <sighs> which is a, another problem for another day, mainly That's, solved by marketers. We, we will save that one for <laughs> we'll save that one for the next episode. Hey, look, we've been trying to teach Google that it's science without an S for the last five years. Good luck. <laughs> Not going to do it. Not going to happen. Sisyphus tried to roll the boulder, and so do we. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. What a great conversation, Mark. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Yeah, great. This has been fantastic. I'm really looking forward to diving into your book. You better read it. Come on. I know. I I was telling Eric this the other day. I, you know, it's it's been recent that I've made the jump from uh, Greek mythology fiction to sales books, but I'm really it's excited. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Just, just saying, <laughs> no, it's it's you know, you can confuse the two. They're, 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 similarities. <laughs> they are found in the same section in your local library. I'm really excited though. I'm I'm pumped to read this. So Good. well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks, Mark. You bet. Thank Thank you you. so much, Mark. Bye.